hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine? Son of a DeLorean? This is the Stupid Answer Show! Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Zack. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with that. Because he has a lot of chit spot. <laughs> Alright. Hello and welcome to episode 380 of the Stupid Cancer Show, The Voice of Young Adult Cancer. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 20-year young adult brain cancer survivor coming to you right now from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. Broadcasting since 2007, The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. My fabulous co-founder, Kenny Kane, will be here shortly, but if he were here now, he would say that we are welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners uh, to the Stupid Cancer Show to never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the stupid cancer show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. All right, on our show, we're going to be honoring the late actor Andy Whitfield. He's got a new documentary out called Be Here Now. Uh, again, Be Here Now is a documentary film following the inspiring life and times of the late actor Andy Whitfield, who passed away from cancer in 20, uh, 2011. He was uh, notably uh, famous for his role in uh, Spartacus on the Stars Network. Uh, his wife, Vashti Whitfield, will be joining us to discuss the project with her Oscar-nominated filmmaker, Lilibet Foster. And we got a Survivor Spotlight highlighting our CancerCon Awareness Month here in April. Young adult cervical cancer survivor, Aaron Scarda. All right. Hello, Mallory. Hello. It's just us. It is. It's quiet. It is quiet. It's good, though. It's a good quiet. Yes. Well, all, all the crazy things happening. The calm before the storm. Yes. 26 days? You're counting the clock, right? I am. <laughs> it is, um, I believe we're at 23. Yes. Yes, it is. It's, it's coming up, and it's coming up quickly. But it's our first show in April. It is. Which is National Young Adult Cancer Awareness Week is the first week of April. Yes. And what better way to profile all that we are by committing our spotlights to our CancerCon community yes and our young adult universe and there's some fun things coming up throughout the rest of the month of april as well well today we might drop the launch of the official 2016 stupid cancer road trip yes 14 days 14 cities six thousand miles kenny in a car kenny in not just a car the car kenny in like the corvette of camaros yes he's got the 600 horsepower ss camaro fully decked out you can check it out online at stupidcancerroadtrip.org or on our facebook page they did a good job this year. I mean, they do good every year. Yeah, it looks like the coolest sports car ever at I, the moment. It looks like a race car. It is. It's totally a race car. We do not have a budget for tickets. I told him that, <laughs> but we'll see how well he does. It's a big deal. So this Tuesday, tomorrow night, uh, Tuesday night, um, we're kicking off in New York, and then I think it's um, uh, Boston, Buffalo, Columbus, Ann Arbor, Chicago, Milwaukee. Minneapolis, Billings, Seattle, Anchorage, Portland, Salt Lake City, and then Denver. Yeah. Did I do that right? I, I 
I, I don't know if the, the order was completely right, but I'm pretty sure those were all of the cities. So it's a, it's a, we had a lot of time to plan this year for the first time, which was nice. So we, we, we seeded some of these cities with uh, special events happening. And, and some of the – in Columbus, we're going to the James Cancer Center. My good friend Doug Ullman, former from Livestrong, two-time young adult survivor. He's almost hitting 20 years this year. Uh, he's joining us. Uh, we just heard from the eBay office in Portland. They might be hosting us. Ooh. We're getting some eBay employees to come out to our event in Portland. It's a really big deal. It's exciting. It's super exciting. And, of course, it all ends at... CancerCon. <laughs> CancerCon, exactly. <laughs> it's happening. It's it's, it's it. It's, it's, you pull a plug. Tomorrow morning, the cork has, cork's out of the bottle. Yeah. It's no turning deal. back now. No, and fifth year. Five fifth, times. Well, I mean, the, the, the story of the road trip, I, I tend to make light of it, but Kenny and I... I think it was after 2011 here in New York. It might have been the summer. And our then board chairman, Dr. Leonard Sender of uh, UCI uh, Irvine in California, happened to know, at the time, he knew George Maloof of like the billionaire George Maloof world, who at the time owned not just the Sacramento Kings, but he owned the Palms Hotel, Resort, and Casino. And he, he connected us over email with the people at the Palms and said, why don't you move the summit to Vegas? And like, why wouldn't we move the summit to Vegas, says us in response to that uh, invitation. And we basically said, well, we should just drive to Vegas as a stunt. And I was like, dude, my kids are like one year old. I am not driving to Vegas with you. But you can drive to Vegas if have you'd fun. like. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we happened to know somebody at Edelman and they had Volkswagen as a client. And we just said, hey, we're driving across the country. You want to give us a car? I said, OK, we'll give you a car. And Lord, Lord knows, we just, this Beetle showed up, Beetle Turbo showed up. I'm driving this across the country. And the cars have just gotten and, larger and smaller and since. And that's it. That, that's, that's our story. We're sticking to it. <laughs> Fifth annual road trip. This is our, um, I think we, we this is our 17th conference or our sixth. We, we were crunching the numbers yesterday. Like, this is the seventh, between all the OMGs that have happened. That sounds about right. This might be the 17th or 18th conference we've done. It's a really big deal. Yeah, so I mean that that's that's some pretty, and a, a sweet sweet shout out to our friends that ran the Ragnar Relay in yes. San Diego, that, Kristen Albert, and the rest our of rock her star team. and the rest of her team. You guys pulled off the, not the impossible, but I believe we were talking the implausible. <laughs> but it, you you made it happen. You did it. It's a pretty spectacular feat. I mean, it was a, a team of twelve people yes. who ran for forty eight hours straight. It was ridiculous. It. Major, major props to them. I know. Super, super duper crazy props to the to Kristen Albert and her amazing stupid cancer team with the Ragnar. Really big deal. Can't wait uh, to see them. Yes. I mean, I was out there two weeks ago and they were too busy training. I didn't have time to see them. I mean, I would imagine you have to run lots before yeah. <laughs> before you run for yeah. two days straight. And of course, we don't like to date the shows, but if you're listening to the show um, timely, this Thursday is our fundraiser in Denver, Toast Denver. Which is, uh, I think we're we're not sold out, but we we close tickets, and I think we'll have some walk-ins. But we're looking for a really great night at uh, toast.stupidcancer.org. You can check it out, and we'll be on social, yeah. tweeting it and Instagramming it and all that fabulous stuff. All the fun things. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh let's kick off our show. In our spotlight, Erin Scarda is the digital editor of Fifty Two Eighty Magazine in Denver, Colorado. She was diagnosed with cervical cancer at the tender age of twenty four. And was treated with a radical trachelectomy. I don't know that word, but I'm going to learn tonight. Uh, a fertility sparing procedure, so they say, in which the surgeon removes the cervix but leaves the uterus intact. Now, seven years cancer-free and an active member of Denver's stupid cancer community, she is joining me right now. Please welcome Erin Scarta. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I was like, tracheotomy? That's not a tracheotomy. What is the correct pronunciation? Trachelectomy. Trachelectomy. That's a word you don't want to get confused in public. No, definitely not. <laughs> wow. Well, it's a pleasure to to talk to you. Have you been you you've you been on the show before? Or is this your first time? I have been on the show once before a few years ago. Okay. Well, uh, the prodigal daughter comes to ruse. Welcome back, returning champion. It's great to have you. Thank you. Yes. And you are in Denver, which is like where the universe is happening this month. It is. Yes. I am born and bred in Denver, uh, moved away for a little bit and have been back here since 2012. Very nice. So you were probably thrilled when we left Vegas. 
I was so happy. I actually wasn't able to make it into one of the events until you came to Denver. So now I really enjoy going to them. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I know you did it just for me. We, we only think about you. So, yeah, so 24 and cervical cancer, this goes back to everything I try to explain on a very simple level when I get asked, well, why young adults, Matt? And it's like, well, their ovaries work. You know, <laughs> and, and that, it, those three words are like, ah, I get it now. Uh, you, you have to use the simplest, and, you know, I'm not really upset. There's no rudeness in terms of, but people generally want to know, why do you only focus on younger people? And fertility, it kind of shuts up the conversation and gets them drinking the Kool-Aid. Tell me more. And you are the consummate story behind that. So let's dig right into it. What was life like for you at 23? And how did all this start to happen? Well, I actually had just gone in for my regular pap smear. Um, I had never missed one. I was actually so on top of it that the time that I actually found out that I had cancer, I had gone too early and they sent me away because of insurance purposes. So wow, um, okay. that's how on top of it I was. I didn't miss one, which I think a lot of people assume that that would happen. And that's how you get cervical cancers when you're missing something like that. But I did not miss one appointment. And I just had got had gone in for my pap and it was abnormal. I had um, the biopsy and they came back full on cervical cancer. None of those in-between steps that sometimes women have where they lead up to it. It was just, I didn't have it and then I had it. So um, I wasn't really expecting that news when I got called into the doctor's office. It was quite a shocker. I tell the story of when I was diagnosed 20 years ago, and I went in for a scan in the morning. My mom and I went to the diner, and then we got home, and there was like three messages on the answering machine blinking like angrily. But that doesn't happen anymore. Today, it's like you get a cell phone call, get back here right away. Was that a version of this for you? Yes, I got a phone call um, at my office, actually, and I was living in New York at the time, like I said, and I was like, okay, this is weird. Why would they want me to come in? And I was joking with my coworkers, a joke that I to this day wish I had never said was, okay, well, I either have cancer or I'm pregnant, you know? And um, I was 24, so both seemed like impossible, right, yeah. <laughs> terrible things. Um, but I actually, the, the crazy part of it was that I found out that I had cancer the day after I moved in with my boyfriend, now husband. So it was this weird moment of my life where I was in my first job out of college. I was, you know, everything going forward had, you know, moved in with my boyfriend, you know, we were going forward and then cancer. So, you know, you know it all too well. And so many people in this community know it very well. It's, it's devastating. We have, um, and you may have met them last year, uh, in, at, CancerCon, uh, Jen and Chad Rackman. Chad is our photographer. He's the guy running around taking pictures of everybody. His now wife had ovarian cancer about a month after they moved in together. And she had a, a radical hysterectomy and like, boom, we're getting married, but wait, no, no ovaries. And same, like, that's the story. That is such a young adult story. So I guess a nice segue then is how did your then boyfriend handle this? He was wonderful. Um, I actually think that it was meant to be that it happened that way because um, we had kind of gone back and forth about whether or not we should move in together because we were so young. But, you know, New York's expensive. So we decided to give it a go, basically just to share rent. Um, and it was a, a, a wonderful decision on both our parts because we were able to be, you know, I was be able, he was there for me. I was kind of there for him, I guess. Um, I mean, I think... He went through it just like I did in different ways. Um, definitely brought us closer. Um, there was a time where <laughs> I'm pretty sure around that time that we were never, like there would be really difficult to break us up at that point, you know, yeah, after agreed. going through that together. So he was amazing. Um, I think that it all happened the way it was supposed to happen. And I am just so grateful that he was there to be my support. 
I love that, you know, even seven years ago, 2009, like a big gulp that only like 2009 was seven years ago. Just let's process that for a second. That <laughs> I know. You, so your OBGYN was the one that brought this in, right? So you, you have your pap smear with your regular practitioner yes. yeah so i i've always asked and i know you know i know you know tamika felder with survivor and the young adult oh, yeah. cancer universe she's one of my dearest friends for forever i i really am curious to know if more women who are diagnosed with cervical cancer from an ob fare better as far as the fertility and reproductive conversation than women who are not that's a great question um and i don't know the exact answer i do know that i have a lot of friends who, when I announced to my Facebook friends that I was diagnosed with cervical cancer, I had so many women contact me and say, oh, I have cervical dysplasia or I had an abnormal pap and had to have this done or, you know, oh, I can't believe that it progressed like that to you. And they, they want to know my story. They want to know how I got there so that they can make sure that they don't get there. You know, what did I do different? Did I miss something? And, you know, I think it's scary. The fact that I did not miss anything that I was really on top of it. Um, and I think that was a little disconcerting for some women I spoke to. Uh, I still have friends who are reaching out to me and talking to me about their experiences. Um, and it's interesting because, and I found this last year at CancerCon talking to some of the other women who had had cervical cancer that, uh, the surgery that I had, which was very, very new when I had it in 2009, it's still really hard to find. It's hard to find a practitioner who can do it, who's trained in it. Um, I'm not sure exactly where they are all are now, but when I was diagnosed in 2009, there were two surgeons in the U.S. who could do the surgery. Both of them were in the New York area. One was in New York and one was in New Jersey. So I'm pretty sure that there's more more doctors who are trained in the surgery now but it is a unique experience because a lot of women I talked to, they didn't even know about this surgery. Like you said, I've never heard of that. And I hear that same thing from um, people who I talk to as well. And it's, it's a little upsetting because, you know, you want to be getting all of the options and laying them on the table, especially when you're young and it has to do with your fertility. And I think that a lot of women are actually missing out on that option just because it's not widely available. And it's also not something that everyone can do. It's just dependent on the location of the tumor and things like that. So, well, uh, it, it's a we argue now that we're we're this national organization. We have a lot of civil liberty conversations around your right to parenthood and what does that mean if cancer takes that away from you. But who is responsible in the conversations to make sure it doesn't as best as possible? And then who covers the cost of preserving? You're right to become a parent. It's such a nuanced conversation that involves legislation and payers and best practices and primary care. It, it's it's insane. But it, this is something that I'm personally, I mean, and I don't want to give guys a pass. It's not as hard for us to deal with this, in, in but right. it's very stressful at the same And I still pay the same amount of money to buy my kids as anyone does that does IVF or anything else. <laughs> So, you know, my kids are six now, the best investment I ever made, but I had to take out a small loan to buy them. And that's another issue that I'm standing on, you know, this uh, in this crow's nest on behalf of all of us for. But so are you able to share with us where you are now? Because you you had fertility sparing two words that wouldn't normally go together, you know, surgery at a time. And I would love to know, is the technology better? Are more women being made aware of this? Do you have to live in New York? to just know the right doctor. Right. Um, well, right now I am actually in the process of going through fertility treatments at um, Colorado Center for Reproductive Medicine, which is such an amazing place. And the people there are just wonderful. Um, and, you know, we, my husband and I tried to have kids naturally for a while and it wasn't working. So, you know, didn't really ex- I kind of expected that would happen, but it was still a little heartbreaking to have to take the next step and go and seek extra help with it. Um, You know, and we're still in the process of trying to figure out what we're going to do or, you know, just taking it step by step. And it's a long and drawn out heart wrenching process. So 
hopefully we'll get to the end of it, you know, and be able to buy our kids just like you did and so many other um, people in this community have been able to. Yeah. Um, I also think it's funny because, you know, people are always like, well, you can just adopt a kid. Like they're just, like you know, kids easy. just, it's just so easy to just be like, oh, I'm going to go to the kid's store and pick one out. Like, <laughs> it's, it's not like that, you know, and I did talk to Jen, who you mentioned previously oh, good. Um, about surrogacy. We didn't know if that was going to be the direction we would have to go. My doctors don't think that that's the route that I need to go on right now. So that's really nice, you know, like basically everything functions. It's just harder to get pregnant. So um, that's the that's where I'm at with my reality right now. No, and you're in good hands. CCRM, Colorado Reproductive Medical Associates, uh, we partner with them on a lot of things. And Lakshmi Kandrapali, who runs their program, I don't know if she's your particular doctor there. She sure is. Oh, yeah. She, I she, met her at, yeah. I met her at CancerCon last year. She is a disciple of the great Teresa Woodruff of Northwestern Oncofertility Consortium in Chicago, who invented the word oncofertility and started to define all the science that women are benefiting from. So that's good for you. And I, I, I'm glad you knew Jen because she went the route of surrogacy. Another thing, like, you know, just, oh, just just do a surrogacy. It's like you shouldn't have to spend a quarter million dollars to, to, to buy a kid. And right, exactly. on, the, on the adoption side, I have a couple of friends that I've known for, for 20 years. They, they didn't have cancer, thankfully. They just were reproductively challenged, but they adopted. And it took them two years and a hundred grand. So as if it's this, yeah, like you said, go to the kid's store and pick up a kid on the shelf. It doesn't work that way. Right, exactly. Yeah. It is um, really interesting. And I also think that, you know, I talked to a friend recently who had had an abnormal pap and it hadn't progressed all the way to cancer yet, but her doctor had recommended that she get a hysterectomy. Just just get a hysterectomy. Yeah. Like it's no big deal. Um, you know, and that kind of attitude towards it is is a little harsh, you know, like she's a woman about my age. And for somebody to just be like, oh, you know, we just recommend that you get a hysterectomy. Like, oh, you know, it's just, you know, you're getting your tonsils out, nothing, nothing else. So right. it's, uh, it's very weird. Um, you know, she's going to consult with an oncologist who I think oncologists are a lot more delicate with these situations at times. Yes. You know, the, the regular doctor just threw it out there like it was nothing to be concerned about and nothing to turn your life upside down. So, yeah, I think it's still a really big issue in the community, you know, this fertility issues. Yeah, I think next time on the TV show Bedside Manor, we can discuss all the doctors <laughs> that don't have any semblance of who you are as a person. Exactly. Yes. Um, and you you opened up here. I mean, a couple of things you wrote. We have a few minutes left. Um, I could talk to you for hours. You're really good. So, oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so you the gift that keeps on giving right cancer is, is the gift that keeps on giving on in any form it doesn't have to be biological it's emotional it's physical it's financial but you just developed lymphedema uh which is again another one of those fabulous you know things that never let you get out of the cancer world in a sense and we work with the group of the lymphedivas which is typically for breast ah, cancer yes. but now people know that you can get lymphedema anywhere from anything and it's a big deal. Are you, would you like to share with us how you're going through this? Yeah, definitely. Um, basically, it came out of nowhere. And um, I was at happy hour <laughs> on a Wednesday last summer. And um, I am a very active person. And I got up from my bar stool and was like, my leg feels really weird. And it kind of hurts. And I started looking at it. I'm like, I don't know, maybe it's a little puffy. And I went home and asked my husband, like, my leg feels weird. Does it look funny to you from like your perspective? And he's like, oh my God, it's so swollen. You need to go to the emergency room right now. So we ran to the emergency room because we didn't know if I had a blood clot or what. Like I didn't know anything about lymphedema. I'd never even heard of it before. So we went to the emergency room, wasn't a blood clot. Um, they're like, well, it's not a blood clot, but we don't know what it is. Um, really lucky that my brother is actually a doctor of physical therapy here in Denver. So I went to see him and he brought it up, said, oh, you might have lymphedema, which is basically a swelling of one limb, swelling of one limb caused by not having any lymph nodes. Right. And I don't have any in my pelvis, abdomen re region. So, you know, of course I haven't had them for seven years, but all of a sudden this decided to just come out of nowhere. Um, so I ended up finding, I went to, you know, my primary doctor, got a referral to go to a lymphedema specialist 
who taught me how to do the lymphatic drainage massage. She fitted me for the compression garments, showed me how to do the really intense wrapping at night. Um, and I was off and running, you know, saw her a few times a week at first to get that swelling down. And, um, now I'm able to manage it on my own. I don't need her assistance as much, which is great. Um, and it's been nice and cold here. So that's been, that's been helpful, but now it's starting to warm up. Like today it's 70 degrees. Hopefully it'll be like this at CancerCon too. I'm really hoping. I think last year it rained the whole time. Um, but yeah, it's 70 degrees. I went on a walk today and I came back and I'm like, oh, I can feel it like swelling a little bit. So, you know, it's, it's, at first it was really devastating. Like I felt, I took it very personally, like this is happening to me. Um, you know, after I got it under control, I felt, you know, lucky that it wasn't something worse, you know, like, okay, it's just this. And I just deal with it. And it's just a part of life now. You know, I wear the compression garments almost every single day, which is a little hard, you know, when you're in the summer and I've had to change some of my activities. Um, they basically think that what happened is that I was doing kickboxing pretty often and I had kicked the bag incorrectly with my knee and, um, my knee had swelled, swelled up a little bit and it never went down. Basically that's how it started. So no more kickboxing for Uh, me. Um, no running, which I hate anyways. So I was cool (laughs) with that. And I'm a big hiker, so I had to cut back on my hiking. You know, I have to be really careful when I do that. Um, you know, basically just – it definitely threw me off. And, um, you know, I was on this big fitness kick, and now I'm still trying to fight back to where I was before this happened. It took a few months to get it under control. So there was, like, months where I couldn't do anything active, which is pretty devastating. So, well, my, my prevention is to never be athletic in the first place. (laughs) I don't believe that. (laughs) Well, you avoid getting hurt at least on purpose. So, you know, yes, exactly. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, uh, by the way, I will be in Denver this Thursday for the fundraiser. I don't know if you'll be joining us, but I'd love to. Oh yes. I'm on the committee. We are meeting this evening actually. So really looking forward to it. So do me a favor, take one for the team for me, make the weather nice just for the day. It'll, and it could be cold again until cancer con, then make it warm again for me to be there. And then it could be cold again when I'm gone. It's going to be in the seventies on Thursday. I just checked. So. Uh, All right. Grab, bring in my shorts. Yes, you should. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just to wrap up again, I'm, thrilled to have you you are one of you know just an amazing voice for cervical cancer and what the young adult experience is like i'm really proud of you because you you opened up here in your in your bio here that you, you were kind of shy about sharing what you've gone through until recently and this is so uh, endemic of the young adult cancer movement which really didn't have much gumption seven eight nine ten years ago and today it's so large and so inviting with so many partner organizations that you your voice matters so much and that you can be there for any other woman that needs you uh, to talk about how, what you did to get through it uh, and that it, it is not a contest. It's not about who suffers more and less. I went through this. This is what I'm going through. And prop, right. props to that man for, for sticking with you <laughs> and uh, owning it. That, that's some good caregiving right there. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, we have such a great community here in Denver. So, um, you know, I actually got really involved with stupid cancer when one of my really close friends was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I immediately was like, oh, I know where we should go. Let's go to this stupid cancer meetup group. I started bringing her and, um, you know, just watching her go through the experience that I had gone through to some degree. It really made me, you know, want to get more involved and, you know, be a better voice for people who are going through this because it is not easy. Are you online? Can we follow you on Twitter? You Do you blog? I do not blog. Um, my job actually requires me to write and edit all day long. So, <laughs> so it's like when you <laughs> in work my at, personal you, life, yeah. I don't do that as much. It's like working but, at Carvel and you just don't want ice cream. Exactly. Well, yes. Um, so yeah, but yes, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Aaron Lee, L-E-I-G-H. Scarda, S-K-A-R-D-A. And you can also find me on Facebook. I'm really open to new friends. I have a lot of friends that I've met through cancer, uh, through stupid cancer and cancer con last year. So it's really nice to connect with people. Aaron Scarda, seven-year young adult cervical cancer survivor. Thank you so much for joining us again on the Stupid Cancer Show.
Thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to CancerCon in a few weeks. You got it. Take care. Thank you. All right, bye. I muted it. She'll probably come up. Okay. Do you want to split the news with me? I can do that. Do you have it? I do. All right. Oh. All right. So it's a, okay, Mal. And now the news. Okay, Mal. And now the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That's events.stupidcancer.org. Sign up for meetup alerts and never miss a meetup again. If you'd like to learn more about hosting your own Stupid Cancer meetup, visit stupidcancer.org slash meetup. All right, there are events happening all over the place. Yes, all over the place. (laughs) Uh, With the road trip in New York, Boston, Buffalo, Columbus, Ann Arbor, Chicago, Milwaukee, Minneapolis, Billings, Seattle, Anchorage, Portland, Salt Lake City, and Denver. And there are also meetups happening in Cherry Hill and Baton Rouge. Very nice. No one should face cancer alone because isolation sucks. Download Instapeer for iPhone, iPad, and Android. Create your account and instantly start chatting with someone just like you who's been there and walked in your shoes. Join our online community of thousands of cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers Right now on your mobile device, Instapeer. We've launched a newsfeed aggravator on Tumblr for all the articles, blogs, stories, and stories we couldn't possibly have time to share on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at stupidcancer.org slash feed. For young adults, clinical trials are a red-hot mess. So we are throwing our hat in the ring to make some sense of the madness. Introducing I Am Not a Trial, real young adults... Real faces and real stories plucked straight from our own community. Watch the entire video series now at IamNotATrial.com. Support our programs and services by heading over to StupidCancerStore.org. You'll feel great and look great in your new Stupid Cancer gear. That's StupidCancerStore.org. Be proud. Wear Stupid Cancer. And that is your Stupid Cancer News. Our main segment here, Lilibet Foster, an Oscar nominee and award-winning documentary filmmaker. She is the director and producer of Be Here Now, the Andy Whitfield story, which opens in theaters on uh, April 7th. Originally from the Virgin Islands, she lives between New York City and the island of St. Thomas. Would that be the middle of the ocean? I'm kidding. And uh, joining her, Vashi Whitfield, a devoted parent, passionate international leadership coach, facilitator, presenter, and author while also striving to inspire people through her blog, Maybe McQueen, which started as a personal homage to her late husband, Andy Whitfield, and his fans. Now followed up by thousands around the world looking for daily inspiration and guidance. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Lilibet Foster and Vashti Whitfield. Thank you. Hang on, let me do that one more time. Because the applause didn't work. technology. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show... Lilibet Foster and Vashti Whitfield. <laughs> Ladies, thank you for joining us. Hi there, how are you? No, it's, it's an honor to have you on the show, and uh, I'm really inspired by the film. It's been many, many years uh, since Andy's unfortunate passing, but this is doing such a, such an, uh, giving him such an homage to his story. Uh, I want you to know we're all very proud of what you guys are bringing to the to our community. Uh, thank you very much. We are very excited and you know very honored to be on your show. And thank you for that lovely introduction. Absolutely. So uh, um, I'm not sure if Vashti's on. However, just want you to know. Did we lose Vashti? We lost. Her. I think we lost her. She All right. Off. All right. Well, I'll call her back in. Okay. So let's. Uh, this is why we do pre-taping, so we can do fabulous pop production. Great, and that's why she didn't say. Thank you and welcome as well, just so you know. Ah, okay. They're calling her now. So, little about we're hearing some noise when you're shuffling. I don't know what that is, but we want to be mindful of background noise. Okay. Is that better? Maybe if I don't touch my headset. Yeah, yeah. Definitely don't touch your headset then. Okay. I won't touch it. 
I can repeat the introduction as well. Okay, fantastic. I didn't hear her say hello. <laughs> Hello, this is Vashti. I think we lost you. Sorry about that. That's okay. I'm here now. The modern hazards of technology. That's okay. All right, so we're going to reboot the segment. I'll I'll play the music, introduce you again. You'll hear applause, and then be on with me. Okay. okay. All right, so here we go. Take two. Wait, wrong one. Again. All right, our main segment here, Lilibet Foster, Oscar nominee and award-winning documentary filmmaker. She is the director and producer of Be Here Now, The Andy Whitfield Story, which opens in theaters starting on April 7th. Originally from the Virgin Islands, she lives between New York City and the island of St. Thomas. Joining her is Vashti Whitfield. Vashti is a devoted parent, passionate international leadership coach, facilitator, presenter, and author, striving to inspire people through her blog, Maybe a Queen personal homage to her late husband for his fans. Uh, we are very excited to talk about the film and talk about Andy's story. Please welcome again uh, Lilibet Foster and Vashti Whitfield to the Stupid Cancer Show. Ladies, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for having us. Uh, I got to tell I you, it. yeah, we're, we're doing, it's such an inspiring story. It's such a tragic loss with Andy and, and we're here uh, five years later uh, to talk about it with this amazing project. Um, I'm not sure which one of you wants to start off, but maybe, Vashti, you marry the guy. You must like him. Uh, let's talk about your life together. Well, we had a pretty fantastic and extraordinary life together that spanned from, you know, the ordinary into the extraordinary, um, which very much resulted in not only making two wonderful little children, but, a, you know, an extraordinary career uh, in the world of entertainment, which was closely followed by, you know, in the world of illness and cancer. And what that opened up for us was, you know, getting to know Andy in a whole new way, getting to know a side of him where he not only wanted to inspire people through his passion, which was acting and making a difference, but actually sharing his story, uh, which is where, you know, you mentioned, I like the guy I married him. Well, I signed up for life, but <laughs> I got his life, which was cut a little bit short which is where I introduced, you know, Lilibet to you, who came on board and helped us to, I guess, tell the story of what it's like to, um, you know, deal with potentially letting go, how to make the most out of life, and how to, you know, really, really leave an inspiring legacy. And that's, you know, where I segue into Lilibet and talking a little bit about the Be Here Now film and Andy's story from that. Over to you, Lil. Yeah, how did you first meet well, we, um, Billy Britt and I, or Andy and I? Oh, well, I guess that that's a good question, but let's, how did you and Andy meet? We first met when we were very young, traveling through Indonesia, and really didn't take much notice of each other, and then five years later, through a, a mutual friend, bumped into each other, literally, I, I kid you not, bumped into each other in the street, and it was like the right time at the right moment, and, um, fell very much in love very quickly when we were only 23. That's beautiful. Beautiful. And how did you meet uh, Lilibet? Well, we were very, very lucky in that Sam Maju, the executive producer of Be Here Now, he was Andy's manager and is now Jai Courtney's manager. And he, when he was asked by Andy to support us making this project, he was like, I don't think it's a good idea, but Andy said, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it with or without you. And Sam said, okay. And he you know, he took the bull by the horns, and he found the best of the best to help us make this, make this story come true. And that's how we met Lilibet. And actually, the, 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 one of the most amazing things was when Sam, who's also the producer, my producing partner on the film, um, first made that introduction and we were all talking that very first time, um, you know, how you make small chat and you try to get to know one another. And I said, uh, I asked Andy where he was from in, in England. And he said, well, you know, you're not going to know it because it's a tiny little town on a tiny island off of Northern Wales. And just by, you know, the pure coincidence of that, and how life does that to you and shows you the way, it's the same town that my father grew up in. Wow. 
So that's serendipity. Well, you know, I don't want to remind you that the movie's called Be Here Now, but everything <laughs> about this film from the very beginning has been it's meant to be. And I think that we all felt at that moment, uh, gosh, that's so, so coincidental that it's just probably meant to be that we're going to embark on this journey together. So let's talk about the film project because it's, it, it can often be very difficult to encapsulate what one person means and what they've accomplished in their story into a film. What's been your goal in I'm going to watch this film What's my takeaway? Um, well, so my style of filmmaking is cinema verite, and it's an observational style of filmmaking. And what I try to do is capture what it is that I see taking place. And for me, um, the two things that struck me off the bat when we first started filming and I was looking at footage was their incredible way of living. Um, incredibly positive, incredibly powerfully positive, and this very unique ability to straddle both this idea of manifesting your destiny and going for it because you only get one go around, and at the same time living in the moment and appreciating all that you have and really embracing that moment, being there fully. And I found that to be very remarkable because I think it's very hard to do. Um, and I felt I want to capture that. That's one of the things I want to capture in this story. And then for me, what kept leaping out was this love story, a beautiful, beautiful love story um, because of their relationship and how they interact and the humor. I mean, the way in which they played it off one another with humor. Um, and I thought, this is a love story too. And I actually went and rewatched the movie Love Story as inspiration because I thought that those two things as as the center of this story, along with the sort of, you know, journey that we were going to go on with Andy's um, and Vashti's, uh, you know, going on to a quest to heal Andy of his cancer, that if I could capture that, if I could capture those things, that perhaps this film might inspire other people. I think it's really important to point out the, the obvious, which is that this is a film that it's not just a labor of love, this is a film that was almost demanded by the public. You had the third most successful documentary Kickstarter ever, and that's nothing to be ignored. You put it out there, he was a beloved man, and everyone wants this project to happen. What was that like for you to see such a groundswell of interest? Well, you know, we were just overwhelmed. I mean, it was incredible. You know, the thing about Kickstarter is you want to be very honest with people and from the very beginning, we wrote in our Kickstarter description and we told, you know, we, in our video that we did and Jai Courtney so beautifully hosted for us this story. And the story is that, you know, Andy and Vashti, when Andy was really diagnosed with cancer, really felt like they wanted to do it differently. They really wanted to, to share their story rather than do it privately because they felt this must be happening to other people. And maybe we, if by sharing it, we could in, help inspire them going through a challenge or just to honestly grab life and uh, make the most of it because, you know, Andy became an actor at 38 and that's a very important part of the story about that in the film. Um, so we couldn't have been more overwhelmed by the response and how people said to us, wow, we want to help be part of making the movie that will, will inspire other people. And I like to think of that as people saying, I want to inspire other people, leaping over the idea of a movie and saying, I want to inspire people, so I want to help get this made. And that would go right down to press. The press was enormously supported as well. And, you know, we had, Vashti and I were on um, uh, uh, Access Hollywood. Um, people, we were in the Daily Mail in the UK, which is a huge audience, um, not just online, but in the Sunday paper. And the press really said, well, we want to inspire people too. So we were really overwhelmed by that incredible embracement of the project. And you know, this is something that Vashi should speak to, but Andy's character in Spartacus and his persona in Spartacus really spoke to people. And I receive emails from people all the time who say, I'm not one of those people that falls in love with celebrities, but I was inspired by this man in the show Spartacus. So Andy has an amazing way of reaching out to people, even in his fictional past. Character. And I think that those people that got on board on the Kickstarter campaign, well, there were a lot of those people too, too that are just 
were and continue to be inspired by Andy Whitfield. Would you not agree, Vashti? I do, and what occurred to me when you were speaking then is when we left the uh, Good Day LA this morning, um, and that wonderful producer, Heather, had said, you know, we had Andy on the show, and we just, you know, we, we watched his show, and we just loved him, and we would want to do anything for him, his family, and his legacy to really honor that. And so it, I think part of the Kickstarter campaign's success and really the incredible following and loyalty and patience of everyone involved is in Andy's and I guess our family's willingness to share very explicitly beyond the kind of glamorous six-pack sword-yielding success, the most vulnerable and raw and realness of the situation, it, it reeled in the trust. And I guess the camaraderie and the companionship of people wanting to be involved in something bigger than themselves. So it's kind of gone beyond Andy. It's actually more about how can we be involved in a project which actually feels like I'm making a difference to something and someone. And I just wanted to add on that note before I hand back to you, you know, as I was having a quick sneak peek peek of the documentary today, just getting it ready for its premiere, what really occurred to me is this is, it's not just about Andy or our family or the journey he went on. It's actually about what this does now, this movie, to trigger something in someone, whether it inspires them, moves them, challenges them, makes them incredibly you know, uncomfortable even just looking at their own life for a moment or makes them laugh hysterically with one of our silly jokes you know, in a moment of love. It, it actually will inspire somebody to go out there and do something differently, you know, to be kinder, bigger, stronger, or more humble and actually live their life, you know, more fully. And that's what I really believe the, the birth of this documentary and Andy's willingness to share that has, has um, manifested. Now, it's incredibly inspiring and you're doing it all right. It's, it's, it's unfortunately all too... Um, commonplace these days where there, where there is an amazing story to be told in film and there are these partnerships now that happen with some of the larger patient groups in the world. I see you guys are working with our friends at Stand Up and LLS mm-hmm. and, and CSC. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much you know about stupid cancer, but I am a 20-year brain cancer survivor. I was diagnosed at 21 and given six months to live. But I founded this organization in 2007 to serve specifically young adults uh, in their teens, 20s, and 30s. And we're now uh, a, a global community of people in, in probably 24, 25 countries. And, and Andy's story is, is our story. It is the story of not being 80 with cancer. It is the story of being married and having children when you're diagnosed in yeah. the prime of your life. And that deserves a voice. And w- working with projects like these, we work, we've worked with... Um, me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. We worked on Fifty Fifty. We work with the um, uh, the Fault in Our Stars and the Chasing Life program on on uh, ABC Family. This is the story, and this is why it is so important that word gets out there that Andy was an eighty, and that you had young children, and that this is a very different experience. So I commend and you for I, wanting that. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just want to just absolutely acknowledge you because I love what you shared there. One of the times we were actually in the hospice with Andy, at, there was it was filled with old people apart from this very young 22-year-old girl. And the thing that stood out for me is that we have to do something to, to share and show that this is experienced by so many people across the board and how to, if you like, normalize it, you know, to find a platform to share people's stories so they can actually feel not so exiled in their journey. And so just in your sharing there, it really, really hit home for me that the Be Here Now film is about sharing an ordinary story and how extraordinary it is and that making, that this, making it clear that this happens to all ages, to all people around the world. And what I really believe this film shares, and I hope you got this from it potentially, is that unless we actually take the time to share those experiences, people often feel completely alone and isolated in it. And for me, part of you know the support in making this film come to life was about working much more as a collective to have people enjoy is too strong a word, but actually uh, you know give value to their experience, however challenging it is, and know that it is something that, that could be shared and make a difference if they took the time to share it. 
Vashti, if you wouldn't mind, I, I, I would love to learn a little bit more about the realities of his diagnosis as far as you being, you know, again, not 80. You had young children. How mm. did that manifest in your life, explaining to them daddy had a boo-boo? It's a, it's a really interesting question. You know, one of the things um, about children which is really critical is that you, you match their sense of awareness. So, you know, you don't give them too much information and, and quite rightly not enough. So we were very, very, very clear about giving them enough information to understand about what was going on in their experience. You know, we explained that there was, um, you know, that his, their daddy had a problem with his blood. And it, as a result, it was making him have really bad backache and that he was going to have certain medicines, which means, you know, his hair would fall out. And then he was going to be all fine again, but with the potential. So we just gave them little snippets that weren't, you know, the actual specific information, but it was enough. Now, the reason I share that with you is what that allowed us to do was have the kids be a part of that journey. And, you know, it, it strangely takes away the challenge sometimes if you can let them be a part of it. If you keep closing the door and whispering for a child, that creates anxiety, but it also separates you from your children. And so, you know, the plus side of it was that the kids got to come along on this. You know, they got to experience their, their dad in his strength and in his fragility. The tough stuff, you know, and the stuff I think you're alluding to, the challenging side of that is as, you know, as the mama bear and the protective one and also for Andy as the father is what's it like when you actually have to ready them for, you know, a big life change. And, and for me, I had to really trust that whatever the kid's experience was, it was going to be something that would change their life in a positive way in the future. And so as tough as it is, Andy and I always referenced what, what was going on is that, you know, things are as they are and they're meant to be. And so just really teaching the kids not to be frightened by the, by the situation, but to trust it. And I guess that was, you know, that was the most challenging thing for me was finding the balance between, you know, honoring everybody's needs and really not fearing the future too much and staying as much as we could in, in enjoying the present and, and, you know, this moment by moment, day by day time that you actually have. And I guess that's what this whole journey really taught me and I imagine has taught you in your own personal experience over, you know, what happened for you 20, 20 years ago. Uh, it was very, 20 years ago sucked in general, but it was, it was, it was pretty dark for, for what it was. And, mm. uh, you know, this notion of isolation, that, that's like a really like a key word in our community because we're not very common in the cancer centers and you can often feel like you're the only one going through it. And when it's just you and your partner and young children, how mm. often are you going to find somebody to talk to that gets that? And, mm. and so there's a lot of empathy here with just the personal experience that you and Andy went through with your children. But the fact that you're trying to, or not you're, you're successfully embodying that experience into this narrative is how I feel we can best sort of promote the story, it, it, young adults. Can I add something to that, though? You know, Jesse, Andy's son, his eldest child is 10, nearly 11 now. And he is such an extraordinary little human being. He has learned so much from that that experience from the loss of his father, but also the experience and love he had with him in the time he had with him. And so the other thing I really want to say, and I think it you know, needs to be spoken about in this whole community, is that you know, if you fear the future and you fear what your kids may lose or the challenge that you're going through, and it's all based around fear, you actually miss out on some of the really beautiful moments. And when I see my son and the legacy that he is, it is so inspiring. So I think it's very important that we don't always make it, and of course we have to acknowledge that it's terrifying sometimes when we think about the worst case scenario or just the challenge of going through treatment. But there are also these really important and gorgeous moments to be shared with our children and trusting that from it something really, you know, it may take time, but something extraordinary does come. Indeed. So a little bit, you were you were tasked with this almost this this uh, I'll use a fancy Brobdingnagian task of uh, putting this all on celluloid and capturing every essence of this, which I, I clearly know you have. I can't wait to watch the film. Uh, what are you hoping to achieve beyond 
you know, uh, the the inspiring people because there's there's so much nuance here about what what a life means and how do you carry that message forward. Well, there's two. I mean, there's many things that we're hoping to do with the film, but I'll 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 tell you, I'll answer the first part of your question, uh, and that is to say that. Um, this film is, it's, it's about legacy in many ways. And, you know, for the York community, you know, finding real kind of meaning and purpose to their journey, even when they're going through cancer treatment, um, you know, try, you know, that, that idea of what is your legacy and what is it that you, you know, what's the mark that you want to leave in life or that you want to live while you're, um, you know, in your life's journey. Um, and the other part of that is we have made it possible through our distribution for organizations that are working on the cutting edge of cancer research, treatment, and of course care and support, which is a big part of this film, um, to use the film to raise awareness and money for the work that they do. And we're doing that by um, releasing the film on April the 8th, theatrically, that's our big U.S. theatrical premiere starting in New York on April the 8th, um, then in Los Angeles on April the 15th. And in both of those scenarios, we have people hosting almost every evening of the film's showing in both theaters um, around different topical areas. The Cancer Support Community is um, hosting evenings. The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is hosting our kickoff in New York, which is really exciting. Um, they're kicking off their Man Woman of the Year competition in New York, which is just an amazing program where people raise just ridiculously impressive amounts of money for cancer research. Um, and Stand Up to Cancer, who being a longtime friend of both myself and the film and their remarkable work that they do, and this is very important to us, um, and kick that all off on April the 7th, we are doing a series of screenings in 10 cities across the country in honor of World Health Day. Um, we're calling it Be Here Now Day, but um, we are uh, um, going to be having people watch the film in 10 major cities across the country. Those are also each hosted by um, various national and local charities involved in both cancer research, treatment, and care, but also meditation and um, alternative medicine and holistic medicine um, and we're very excited about all of this and, and going going on from here anyone anywhere can just simply go on our website beherenowfilm.com and set up a screening of this film and use that screening to raise awareness and funds for more cancer uh, you know, more to, to make a bigger impact on what is already being done in the cancer space with treatment care and support. Exactly right. So we have another minute left. I just want to bring up the film is Be Here Now, the Andy Whitfield story. Again, the website you mentioned, BeHereNowFilm.com. Twitter handle is BeHereNowFilm1, and Facebook is BeHereNowFilm. Uh, you guys, is the Kickstarter page still up, or is it just the YouTube channel now? No, it's our website. Our website is kind of the central clearinghouse for reserving tickets, watching videos. We have beautiful video from uh, people who came to see the film at the Santa Barbara Film Festival and were so inspired they wanted to talk about it. Um, everything you can find, everything on our website. Well, that's great. Again, I, I can't stress enough the value that, that, again, more media like this does to boost yeah, not just cancer awareness and uh, research and funding, but that you weren't 80. I can't stress that enough. You weren't 80. You are young adults, and that matters too, and that is the exact reason why we exist as an international patient community, to be that voice that young adults in the prime of their lives can and do get cancer, and it's very different, and you guys embody everything that that is, and I commend you again on all of this work. Vash, I'll give you the final word. Um, you lived it, you know, and this is your life story, and it, it's just so important to be told. I, I thank you for that, and it is my life story, but also reminding you that there's still lots of life to go, and so what we really hope with this movie is that it, it actually moves, challenges, inspires anybody who is privileged enough to have a life, whatever is going on for them, to really make the most of it, because it is a privilege. 
Well, I can't thank you guys enough for joining me here on the Stupid Cancer Show. Good luck with the film, uh, with your launch and release. We will do our best in, in any capacity to promote and make sure people show up. And I think we have partnerships here in the city for the screening that's going on. So if you're here, maybe we'll get to see you, but certainly not the last. Oh, thank well, you so thank, much. Thank you so much. We couldn't be more honored to be on your show. And, you know, your work is incredible. And we just are very excited to be, you know, collaborating with you as well. All right. Once again, the film is Be Here Now, the Andy Whitfield story. A theatrical release date April 8th. That's this week. Uh, and then April 15th in L.A. Uh, a little bit Foster and Avashti Whitfield. Thank you once more. Good luck. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay. All right, now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. The 380th episode of the Stupid Cancer Show. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. I'd like to thank my guests, Aaron Scarta, and both Lilibet Foster and Vashti Whitfield from the Andy Whitfield story. Broadcasting since 2007, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. Coming to you once again from the chemo deck, and on behalf of my whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, we hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you right back here on the next exciting podcast of the Stupid Cancer Show. Goodbye, folks. Cancer effects.